Sure go. Well, good evening. Oh, there we go. Thank you. Someone didn't go on the camp and they're awake. It's great. Um, well, someone's just used to talking to the person. It's not a rhetorical. My name's Andy and it's uh, great for us to be together in this word. Um, you know, I don't know if you've reflected much on how one Peter has been for you. Uh, I think it's really kind of shown us what it's like to live as a Christian. You know, this ancient letter written to this group scattered throughout modern-day Turkey uh, speaks so truthfully about our context today, doesn't it? Uh, It tells us how hard it is to actually live differently in this world as a Christian. You know, throughout 1 Peter, we've had instances of, you know, being a Christian in the workplace, being a Christian in your home, in your family, in marriages... And there's a context of what it means and how it's hard to live it out being a Christian. And he's shown us why, hasn't he? It's hard. And he's shown us that it's so worth it to be a Christian in this world. You know, he said we are foreigners, right? Foreigners living in a foreign territory. We don't belong here. Heaven is our home. And we live in this world and it's hard because the world is hostile to us because we follow Jesus. I feel like it's been a timely, powerful word for us. But here we are at the last section of 1 Peter. And what does he want to do for us? Well, he kind of gives us another reason why it's going to be tough for us to live as a Christian. And he does it by giving us an image of Christians as sheep, right? Did you pick that up when we read it? As he's talking to the leaders of the church, he says, shepherd the flock, verse 2, of God that is among you. Now, this is not the first time he's referred to the Christians there as sheep. Uh, in two, chapter 2, verse 25, he says, We were all like straying sheep. Oh, that's so good, I said it. This morning I couldn't say it. You know the song, We All Like Sheep? Every time I, in the Bible, I, I just go off into Dubar Darbar land, which is probably just a reflection that I have kids. Anyway, 2, verse 25, he says... Now I won't be able to say, we're all like straying sheep, but now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of our souls. So he's saying, you're like sheep just scattered, but when you've come to Jesus, you've returned to your shepherd and overseer of your souls. Now being described as a sheep isn't really that flattering. Do you guys know sheep? My, my grandpa was a farmer, and so we used to get, we used to kind of, as all our kids would go out uh, to the farm, and we would spend kind of two weeks, maybe four times a year, like just, and we would help him out on the farm. So that just meant, you know, fixing fences, pulling sheep off fences that had run into the fence. Uh, it meant pulling sheep out of bogs in dams. It meant, you know, all the sorts of like moving sheep from a paddock that was, you know, no feed and no water to a paddock that had it. So just we had all a lot of fun time with sheep. But they are silly animals. They're stupid. My grandpa, he used to have a whole bunch of vocabulary for them. Um, but they were vulnerable, silly, and they'd always, you know, make dumb decisions. Now, they're definitely not the smartest nor the fiercest animal, but this is the animal that Peter calls us as Christians. He says, you are sheep, you are God's flock, and we are all God's flock. But then get this, verse 8, not only are Christian sheep, but he tells us that there's a roaring lion on the hunt. Have a look at verse 8 there. It says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. 
See, it's not just hard to be a Christian because the world is opposed to us because we follow Jesus. Uh, Even more than that, it's hard to be a Christian because we have a fearful enemy, our adversary, the devil, who is out to get us. See, how does this lion devour Christians? Well, his chief aim is to take us away from Jesus. His chief, chief aim is to stop us from entrusting ourselves to him who is our only hope in this life and the next. So if you're here and you have already copped it for being a Christian uh, or you're going to cop it for being a Christian, you know what the devil wants? He wants you to question if this Jesus stuff is really true. He wants you to question, is this really good? Is there really life after death? Is this all worth it? That's what he wants to do. And if you've had that thought, then welcome to the rest of us. Peter has a word for us tonight. So what does he tell us? How does he help us to live as sheep in lion's territory? Well, I think the first thing we've got to notice is that we need each other in this. See, if I only think of myself as a single sheep roaming around, I've kind of missed the whole point of the flock of God image that Peter gives us. See, a single sheep, it has no hope with just, you know, a little fox, not to mention a roaring lion. But we all have each other because we are all the flock of God. It's crazy to think that we can survive in lion territory on our own. And 1 Peter 5 is all about how we work together as the flock to stay safe. And the heart of what he tells us is, the key thing he tells us is you've got to be humble. The number one priority for us is to pursue a life of humility together. Now, that is so countercultural, isn't it? If you were writing to people, copying it, is that the thing that you would tell them, to be humble? It's not what I would tell them, but that's what he tells us. So we've got, I've got five points. Now, on your outline, I had four. I've added one. You can thank me later for that. Um, but it's on your outline if you're going across. The first point it will be a little bit longer than the other ones, okay? So the first point he tells the flock, the church, to pursue humility is that the church needs humble leaders. Um, Verse 1, Peter, he addresses the elders among you. So he's not just talking to people who have had more birthdays, uh, but he's talking about those who are in leadership and have responsibility for leading the church. They're appointed to particular responsibilities. Now, they most likely did have more birthdays though because, you know, elders were uh, tended to be older because Paul elsewhere warns us of appointing elders too young, too, too young in the faith because they would get led astray. But what does he call them to do? He calls them to shepherd the flock of God, verse 2, to exercise oversight. So it's the idea of looking out over the flock of looking out for the sheep, for the people's interest. That includes finding the lost sheep. That includes leading and teaching and feeding and guiding and care for the sheep in your care. Now, the concept of a shepherd comes up time and time again in the Bible. Uh, In the Old Testament, in Isaiah 40, that passage we read out, God there is described as a shepherd for his people, isn't he? See, God is the ultimate shepherd of his flock. 
He's the one that looks after them. But he does in the Old Testament kind of appoint under-shepherds. He appoints leaders in, his, in the nation of Israel and they do a terrible job often. Some do an alright job, but Ezekiel 34, they do a terrible job. But then this shepherd idea gets ultimately fulfilled when Jesus turns up on the scene in John 10. And what does he say? He turns up saying, I am the good shepherd. Why is he the good shepherd? Because he's the one who gave his life for the sheep. He feeds the sheep with his word. He guards the sheep with his life. So he's the ultimate humble, self-sacrificial 21 shepherd. Now, 21 shepherd, self-sacrificial shepherd. Um, did I say 21 shepherd? Yeah, that's good. I like it when you get the confused face because like, I was like, did that just happen in my head or did that come out loud? <laughs> it definitely came out loud. Um, interesting, although in the Old Testament, right, like the, the leaders did a horrible job, Jesus does kind of reinstate under shepherds uh, in his interaction with Peter, you know, where Peter kind of at Jesus' death denies him three times. But then after he rises again, you had this interaction in John 21, that's where I got the 21 from, where, where Jesus says to Peter, Peter, do you love me? Three times, Peter, do you love me? And what is, Peter says, yes, I do, you know I do. And he says, feed my sheep, feed my sheep, tend my flock. Three times he says the same thing. It's a profound moment where Peter is restored after a massive failure, uh, but just such grace and restoration of Jesus. Um, but so, he, so he's restoring under shepherds to look after the sheep. Now it's re- important for us to remember verse 2, that the sheep which the leaders are to humbly lead, they're not their own. They're God's flock. They belong to God and he has entrusted them to the leader's care. Now, who, who has animals? Does anyone have, like, a pet? Yeah, okay, so, yeah, a few. So, our family, we're not a pet family. I, I, I say to people, we have too many kids to think about looking after any more pets. Uh, but, you know, when you go on holidays, if you're a pet family, and you're always looking for, you know, you want to entrust responsibility, your, you know, your care of your pet to someone else? Um, you know, so... It's one thing, right, if you're responsible for looking after someone's pet, if a goldfish dies, goldfish always die, don't they? I don't know, how do you, how do you know, how do you keep them, they just seem to be always dying, there's no rhyme or reason for that. Um, you know, maybe if a cat dies, it's another thing, doesn't really matter. <laughs> St. Matt's, uh, down at St. Matt's is where I most of my time, they're all cat lovers, anyway, that was, that was pretty funny. Um, but, you know, if a dog dies, oh man, you know, when you've been entrusted the responsibility of looking after someone else's dog, their precious pet, it's a big, huge responsibility, isn't it? But Peter is saying to these leaders, you have something far more precious than a pet. God has entrusted you his very flock to care for and he calls you to humbly serve and lead them. Now, he does give the leaders three temptations of which to be warned against. So he says to them, These are your, this is a flock of mine, look after it, shepherd them, but do it, verse 2, not under compulsion, but willingly. So he says, leave the flock because you want to, not because you must. So if you're here and you've been asked to kind of step up and take responsibility in a ministry, don't do it because you have to, but do it because you want to. Do it because you know the Lord Jesus has served you. Do it because 
you know the eternal significance and joy and privilege it is to serve others so that they might be continue in Jesus. It is a privilege to be entrusted to care for God's precious people. Second temptation for the leader. It says, don't do it for shameful gain, but do it eagerly, verse 2. So he's saying, don't take advantage of this position. Now, this shameful gain could be, you know, it could be greedy for money. And don't we have too many examples of leaders who use their position in the church for financial gain? It's just horrific to do that. But I think it also could be, you know, you could take on leadership to get respect or honour of a particular group of people or someone that you want them to look up to you. Can I say that kind of taking on leadership for your own sake is ugly? And I don't know if you've been around that kind of thing, that kind of leadership uh, where the person who's leading seems more concerned about themselves, their own name, their own fame, they defend everything, people have to have the right view of them, than they do of Jesus, that is an ugly leader to be amongst. And Peter says, this is terrible for the church if you're in it for your own gain. It will tear the church apart. The third warning for leaders is to to take on leadership, not domineering them, but being an example. You lead in order to give an example. You don't go in because you're on a power trip. You don't go in it because you want to be the boss man and tell other people what to do. Jesus warns us against such worldly, ungodly leadership. It's not about lording it over the Christian leadership. It's actually about serving those you lead. Jesus himself, he came as a son of man not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. He gives us the example of what true, genuine, humble Christian leadership looks like. And it's amazing, isn't it? That's why he is our Lord, but it's so good to follow him because he's a humble Lord who serves us. Can I say, um, just in terms of, I mean, I've recently joined Wildstreet and St. Matt's and it has been a joy uh, joining the staff team. My, I, I know you can all witness to the character and leadership of Rod and the others here, but they are godly, self-sacrificial, not domineering. They do it willingly and eagerly, and it's been a delight to see their example. And I want to uphold them and say thank you to God for that work that he's done in their life. Uh, And so you guys can thank God for them later. Verse 4, why would you go into this? What's your motivation? Verse 4, he says, when the chief shepherd appears you will receive the unfading crown of glory. See, that end day is what drives the leader's actions, motivations and desire to serve others. See, this crown of glory isn't just for leaders. Uh, Paul says the same thing to every Christian in 2 Timothy 4. It's not just a special crown for elders, but it's a crown that all who are in Jesus will receive when he returns. Peter's point is, the crown of reward is worth the labour. The crown of reward is worth the labour. Remember that. See, who does the shepherding here at Wild Street? Well, ultimately, Rod is the ultimate shepherd responsible here, but he does share the responsibility out. 
He shares it to the staff team. There's elders, uh, there's key lay people and volunteers who have committed their life to shepherding in some way or another. If you're a kids leader, you shepherd the flock. If you're a youth group leader, you shepherd the youth. If you're a growth group leader, if you help and encourage each other to seek with Jesus, in some way you do shepherd each other. So give it, give yourself to the others. Encourage each other and continue to do that for the sake of others. Okay, that's my first point, right? We're, we're sheep in the lion's territory. What's he say? We need humble, godly leaders. That was going to be, that's a longer one. It's okay. Don't, don't freak out. Secondly, the church needs uh, to submit itself to its leaders. Uh, verse 5, he says, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Now, in context, because he's talking about leadership, I don't think it only refers to an age bracket, you know, the younger in age, like maybe, you know, the youth group or whatever. I think he's speaking to everyone else at church uh, that isn't in leadership, that they're to, to submit themselves to the leadership at church. Now, why is he singling out younger people? Well, I think because, firstly, because generally elders were older, they were probably generally younger. But secondly... I think this is something that younger Christians, younger people generally find harder. I mean, submission is a challenge for all of us, but it's particularly harder, I think, for younger people. Uh, I remember when I was younger, uh, at the age where I knew everything. What age is that? 22? I'd been out of school a few years, and I was like, yeah, I know enough. I know a lot. Uh, I was so difficult for church leadership. I, I would have... I think now I reflect back, I'd hate to have my younger self in my congregation. I think it'd just be such a thorn in my side. Anyway, I used to, um, I moved churches around that age. So I went from my home church where I you know, met the Lord Jesus and then I moved to another church. And I think everything that new church did, I think I proudly, arrogantly thought I knew a better way. You know, I was like, I'd been part of a good way of doing this. What are you guys doing? So I would question the way they did things. I would kind of say that, you know, there's better ways to do it. Uh, I think in my questions and my comments and my feedback, I wasn't doing it to kind of build them up. I was just doing it to kind of, I don't know, to prove that I knew better or that there was a better way. Uh, and when they didn't listen to my profound wisdom, um, you know, I think I would do what they asked to do, but I think I'd subtly kind of undermine them, you know, kind of talk about it behind their backs, how silly, you know, you know those kind of comments or, you know, I could, I remember saying something like, I could never follow one of the lead of pastors at, at church. Just how, what an arrogant, like, comment. It's just, it's embarrassing to say it. But I think I need to hear Peter's words here. Now you, to humbly submit yourself to the leaders. Uh, I'm so thankful for their humble leadership of me. They lovingly, patiently listened, rebuked and led me and they've forbeared and I have apologised to them uh, numerous times. But ultimately, it is the chief shepherd, right, whom we are to submit to, Jesus and his words. So it's not like a free pass for a, an elder to ask you to take them, you know, to drive them around. I have I know people that have been asked by their church leaders to like drive them around. That's not what it's saying here. Uh, he's wanting you to humbly submit to your leaders, than the younger 
and to, to let the elders humbly lead you. Okay, that's the second thing. The third thing uh, we need as churches is we need to exist together in humility. Uh, verse 5b, he says, Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Clothe yourself in humility. He's, the language of clothing is like taking off pride and putting on humility. Here is God's dress code for the Christian. Humility will always be in. It won't ever go out of fashion. And in a world where pride is celebrated, applauded and recommended for getting ahead, this is not the way it is for Christians whose home is heaven. Humility is our clothing. It's radically countercultural. And humility, it's not easy for us, is it? It's not natural for us. It's an out-of-this-world characteristics. So instead of thinking about myself and my needs and my comfort and me getting satisfied, Christians are to think about others. You could think about the cause of others and the cause of Jesus. See, why is humility so important? It's important because of who God is. Did you notice that? That quote from Proverbs? It says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. See, if you want to be right with God, it requires humility. It requires supernatural humility. See, it is the humble person who can see their own heart, can see the ugliness of their own sin and knows that they have no hope before God. It's the humble person that knows they can't hide it, they can't change it, they can't fix it. The only hope they have is to throw themselves freely on the mercy and grace of God. See, at the end of the day, you cannot be a Christian and be proud. See, the ultimate form of pride is to conclude that you don't need God, that you have everything sorted for this life and the next. The proud person is blind to their own need and God will oppose that person. He'll oppose him for being proud and pushing him away. Being humble is at the core of what it means to receive salvation and it's the core dress code for how we are to relate with each other. In God's flock, pride is a cancer and the cure is humility towards one another. Okay, the next one, point four, is God's flock need to exist in humble, prayerful trust of God. Have a look at verse six. He says, Humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. See, what a truth to put in there, right? I don't know if you're into memorizing scripture. Cast all your anxieties on God because he cares for you. Friends, God cares for you more than you know. And it is when we're consumed with our own insecurities and our own anxieties that weigh so heavy on us that it can kind of just take up all our space, can't it? So that we don't have even energy or the thought to think about anyone else. Jesus, the Good Shepherd, really does care for us. He wants you to throw your anxieties on Him. Cast your deepest fears, your darkest worries on him because he is the mighty God with the mighty hand that he is the one that's able to do something with it. 
See, the secret to living well in lion territory is to cast our anxieties on God, to trust him with those things that make us insecure and to not let them stop us from being a healthy flock. Okay, finally, we need to be a church that resists the enemy. Verse 8. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith knowing that the same kind of sufferings have been experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. See, here's the truth we're meant to remember. We have an enemy. We have to be sober-minded, alert, and watchful to this reality. His name is the devil, and he is a roaring lion prowling around. Now, the issue for me as I read that is I don't think I feel the weight of a lion prowling around. Like, I get it, right? That's supposed to be scary. I get it. But I don't get it at the same time. See, I reckon if he were writing it to us and you love surfing, he would say there is a great white shark prowling around looking for someone to devour. Now, that thought for me is terrifying. I can get that. I was like, yes, I get that. Um, I remember years ago when I was surfing up uh, Hungry Head, which is just north of Crescent Head, uh, a mate, we were surfing together and a mate yelled out, shark, right? So shark, and I was like, Phew, we were in. It was like we were on the sand in a, it, faster than you can ever imagine. Uh, I wasn't hanging around out there thinking, oh, she'll be right. I'll just catch another wave. It's pretty good out here. Uh, I didn't kind of do the sums and think, oh, there's three or four, that's you know, maybe four, 25% chance of it getting me. I didn't do that. I was straight in on the sand. Now, the next day, we did go back to the same place because the surfer was really good there. Um, and we did go out, but I tell you, I was on high alert, right? I was watchful for everything. Anything black or blackish or something that moved that shouldn't be there, it was like, like just totally any kind of splash. You know, you're kind of looking at it, and then we can make it's like, was that was that a thing? Like you are on high alert, um, watching for a shark. I think this is what Peter means when he says to be watchful and sober-minded, aware that you're in lion territory. Know the danger you are in. Don't muck around. Have your eyes open to that reality. The devil wants to destroy your faith and take you away from Jesus and he will use whatever he can to do it. See, what's the devil's strategy? Well, I think he wants to allure us away from humbly submitting to God. Uh, He's called the father of lies and he uses kind of ordinary things that appear wise yet are full of lies. So he would kind of tell us lies that are the opposite to what Peter has said here in verse 6 and 7. You know, God doesn't really care about you. He doesn't know you. Uh, He isn't able, he isn't mighty enough to do something about it and your situation. Uh, You can't trust him. Can you really trust him? Why would you humble yourself before God? How's he gone so far? He's not able to protect. He's not able to control. He won't help. And so instead of humbling yourself, he wants you to take it all into your own hands and be prideful. Friends, we are sheep in lion's territory. Humility is the key and pride is the killer. So what has Peter said to us? We need to entrust ourselves to God. 
We need humble leaders who lead us. We need to submit to those leaders. We need to live in humility and we need to be humbly, prayerfully trusting God and resisting the enemy. Now, I want to finish up in a second, but I want to ask the question, how at all is it possible for us to live this way? Have you, like, yeah, yeah, okay, you, you want me to be humble, but how do I actually live such counterculturally, other person, radically centred life? Why would anyone choose to willingly do this? Well, I think Peter tells us in this passage, I think it's only possible to live this way if you know that you're secure, your future is secure in Christ, that you have eternity locked in, that Jesus is your saviour, you have that eternal hope that can never perish, spoil or fade. When you have your eyes set on that future, you can live now in radical humility, knowing that you're not missing out. You choose to think about someone else and put them before yourself. You know, I've got, I've got the best thing coming. I can serve others willingly. I can go without. And Peter does that through this whole chapter. He wants us to keep lifting our eyes to this reality. Uh, have a look, you know, in verse 4, uh, the, the leader sacrificially served, knowing that that crown of glory awaits you. And we can live in humility serving others, knowing, verse 6, that God will, at the proper time, exalt you. We can endure suffering now, verse 10, and after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. That is an amazing, powerful future truth of God's grace for you, isn't it? We need to keep our eyes on that reality so that we can now live differently. Radical humility towards each other. Friends, Jesus will not fail you. He cannot fail you. The glory of our future is absolutely certain. Friends, this is the grace of God and let's stand firm in it. Why don't I pray? Heavenly Father, we are so grateful and thankful for what you have done in the Lord Jesus for us. Thank you that he served us to the point of death, that he laid down his life for us so that we might have this future hope secure. We might have eternity with you. Father, we pray that our eyes and our hearts and our desires would be so transformed by what you have done in your grace by Lord Jesus that we could live radically together, that we'd be humble, that we'd serve others and that we would stick together and make it to the end in Jesus on that last day. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.